Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast of Cornerstone Anglican Church in Bridgeport. We are a people seeking to proclaim that Jesus is King by loving God and loving Bridgeport. Uh, as we continue through our series, looking at the life of Moses and the stories of God's deliverance um, of, of God's people, Israel, all throughout this, the life of Moses. Um, today, as you heard, we are looking at a passage from the book of Leviticus. Um, so this is not so much about the life of Moses, um, but this does, have, it does happen during the life of Moses, and I thought it would be great for us to really dig into Leviticus today. I'm sure you do that daily. Um, probably not. Uh, but this is uh, probably not a passage that you have um, spent a lot of time in, um, but I did think it was one of the... Um, probably the, the passages that really sums up a lot of the law of Moses all in one place, right? So this is happening. Uh, this law is uh, part of what's given to the people of Israel after they've come out of Egypt, after they've been rescued through the Red Sea, um, all, after God's spoken to them at Sinai. Um, that's where we are in the story, right? All the things we've seen so far, that is where this takes place. But there's some interesting stuff in there. And I want to ask, do you take the Bible seriously? Yes. Oh, that, okay. That's, that's good. He said the right, the Sunday school answer. Okay. Um, he said, yes, you take the Bible seriously. But I wonder this, right? Because the Bible just said, don't have tattoos. Don't trim the hair at the sides of your head. And don't wear clothing made, woven of two different kinds of material. So do you take the Bible seriously? So what's going on here? Because I have a feeling, we won't take a show of hands, um, that we're not all following uh, those and a few other things, um, and that there might be some questions about, uh, you know, bringing rams to tents and things like that, uh, that we uh, just had mentioned here in this passage. So are we just picking and choosing which parts of the Bible that we want to follow? I don't think that that's the case, right? Because we're actually taking the Bible seriously, or so I think John told us. Uh, yes, we are taking the Bible seriously here. So we're not just picking and choosing which ones we want to follow, um, but are we just all throw, throwing it all out as old pre-Jesus stuff uh, that we don't need to listen to? Um, that can't be right either, right? Because some of the things that we see in the Law of Moses here in this passage and elsewhere are things where we really nod our heads and say, yes, that's, that makes sense. Uh, that's really good. You should follow that. Um, and that seems like helpful and encouraging and challenging for me. Okay, so what's going on here? What I wanted to say today is that the law is a gift to us. This law that we read, everything around it, um, with all of its strange things um, as we read it today. This law that God gave to Israel, which as far as I know is not us here in the room, um, that law is a gift to us who are not Israel, and it is a gift because it is revealing the very character of God. It is forming a people for kingdom life, a people who um, are full of flourishing, a people who are distinct from the world around them and live life as a witness to the world. And this law, even the passage that we read today, is still instructive for us today for the same purpose as it was given to those who it was originally given to. Um, even that bit about the fab fabrics and the sideburns and the seeds and all those things. Still instructive for us today. Okay, so that might sound a little strange, so we're going to explore what is going on here, what is happening in the law. So I brought the whiteboard uh, so that I can draw a couple things today, which is a bit unusual. Um, drawing, not my strong suit. 
so we'll keep it simple. Um, what we see first, before we, before we get to that, is that this law is part of a story, right? Over and over, um, God's saying, I am the Lord, I'm, God, I'm your God. Um, in the Hebrew, there's, it's basically, I, I think it's the I am Yahweh. It's the, the um, particular name that God gives uh, to uh, the people when he, right before he brings them out of Egypt. Um, he's basically saying over and over, I am the one who is your God, the specific God who brought you out of Egypt. Right? And this law that we're given is placed within this broader story right, of God has rescued them. God wants them to be free. God wants them to be God's special people that um, give witness to the world. And so this law that we have is in the middle of that story, right? This law is part of, as we've been talking about, how they remember what God has done, how they, um, uh, how they get to know the God who is revealing God's self to them, and how they participate in and live out life that is free and rescued from slavery and captivity and idolatry. Um, so that's where this law fits. So what's going on here with the law, and how, I, how is it relevant today? Well, first we have to start with, um, they're in a little bit different time and place than us, right? Like this is the people of Israel, this is 3,200 plus years ago, right? So we have the Israel context right back here. Hopefully this is legible. Okay, so we have the Israel context here. Um, and that context is a little different than our context today, right? Um, some of these things that are being mentioned might be more familiar, less out of place in that context. And so we have that on the one hand, and then on the other end, we have God. Okay, so there's some distance between the context, the way that things work around Israel and God, right? Things around Israel, things in Egypt, things in Canaan, Things in the ancient Near East don't necessarily work the way that God wants them to. And the people um, of Israel are just getting to know God. The people around them don't know God. Um, and so there's this gap, right? And that's where God gives the law. That's where God steps in and, and makes a covenant with the people of Israel, gives a starts a relationship with them uh, through this rescue and at Mount Sinai. And at, uh, as part of making that covenant, God gives them the law. Okay, so we have the law here, the covenant, and what those are meant to do is to draw Israel towards God, right? So what I would say, I'm going to write the word objective here. Is that the law has objectives that it seeks to accomplish in the context of Israel. And the point of what the law is trying to do as its objective is it is to bring Israel towards God, to draw Israel closer to God, right, from their context to um, experiencing and knowing and living God's way. Now, for a second, I want to talk about how do we figure out what the objectives of the law are, right? When we read them in Leviticus, it's just this list of do this and don't do this and do this and don't do this, right? Um, but God has intentions, right? God's not giving them just here's a random list of things to do and not do. Right? God gives them specific things for particular reasons. God has intentions and objective in mind. So how do we, as readers, figure out what the objective is? Why does God give them the laws that God gives them? That's a pretty important question if we're going to dig into a passage like this. I think these are some helpful questions, maybe as you're reading passages like this, that you can look at a law and ask, why is, why is this law here? 
um, what you might ask is, what is this preventing? Right? Who is this protecting? What responsibilities is this creating in a society? What, is, what ideal society is this imagining? Right? If this were followed, what would society look like? Those are some questions that help us look at a law and figure out what's the objective of the law that God has. Why is God giving them this law? And when we do that in this passage, what are some of the things that we find? It's helpful to have your Bibles open to Leviticus 19 as we go through this. As I read through Leviticus 19, there's a few different objectives that I see that God has, reasons that God gives them, the laws that God does. Um, The first is that God actually cares for justice, right? God actually wants the people to be just. He forms them towards justice with these laws. He says, uh, don't steal, um, don't show favoritism, uh, don't um, withhold your neighbor's wages, don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. Um, don't use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. And when a foreigner resides among you, don't mistreat them. Right? God actually wants the, the society to be just. Right? So we go from laws to an objective that God has for them. Oh, yeah, I think we also see God wants things to be harmonious. God wants things to be unified. Right? Don't deceive one another. Don't lie. Don't swear falsely. Um, don't defraud your neighbor. Right? God wants him to be a harmonious, just society, caring for one another, but also caring for the weak. Right? God mentions, uh, don't um, harm the foreigners who is in your midst. Don't distreat, mistreat them. Look out for those who are aged. Um, and there's some, some laws um, as, as regarding this uh, situation with the female slave who is violated and some other things, which will dig into there, um, but that I think are seeking to promote care for those who are weak in the society. That's God's objective of some of those laws, right? Um, we also see that God actually cares not only for what is, are the actions of people, but what is in the heart of people. Uh, God says uh, in, where to go? Verse 17, uh, don't hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Okay, so God's not just concerned about what you do. God's also concerned about the intentions and how you view your neighbor there, right? So we start to get a little picture of what are some of the objectives of this. Okay, so from there, where do we go? Those objectives that God has for the law are really helpful to us. How are they helpful? They reveal the character of God, right? Those objectives that we just saw, God wants this for society. God wants this for society because that is God's character. That is who God is. God is a God who loves justice, who loves harmony in society. God is a God who cares for those who are weak and on the margins in society. God is the one who is concerned with matters of the heart. Now, that by itself is good news, right, for you and I today. We can look at that law. We can see here are the objectives of the law. This is who it's trying to protect. This is the society that it's trying to create. And therefore, this is the God that rescued Israel out of Egypt and is the God that we follow. That right there is good news, that that is the God that we follow. But I think that the relevance does not end there, right? Um, We might say, okay, that's helpful. I'm glad that it shows us that about God. But are the laws themselves relevant for our ethics today? One might say, maybe you're thinking this, well, we're under the new covenant, under, under the new covenant with Jesus. This is the old covenant, therefore it doesn't, these rules don't apply to us, right? We can just ignore all of these laws and we don't really have to worry about them. Now, I think to some extent, yes, but it's not that simple. Okay, 
Um, because Jesus actually teaches about the law of Moses. Jesus says he fulfills the law of Moses. Um, Paul writes to us that all scripture is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. And that includes this set of laws here about like trimming sideburns and stuff like this, right? Paul's saying that is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So what's going on here? I can get how that makes sense with don't, don't slander your neighbor, don't withhold your wages from the, your hired workers. That makes sense. But how do these other things, are, are they, how are they useful for us today? Here's what it's not. Okay, we, can, we could say we today have the same God as Israel had when these laws were given. God is the same, right? No, that's true. Okay, we got that clear. Second, that God has not changed, right? God has not changed since then. God is the same God with the same character as the same objectives for the world. Okay, also true. That's clear. But third, we might say, because we have the same God who has the same objectives, then God wants us to follow the same rules to pursue those objectives and get closer to God's character, right? That we're supposed to do this process um, exactly like God said for Israel. Now that's where we run into a problem. You see, because there's a, there is a distance between our context and the context of Israel. Remember, we mentioned those 3,200 years? That's a long way. And very, a distance is maybe not quite well represented by this tiny line here. Um, but we have our context over here. And the problem is, when we say that God, what God wants us to do is the same God, right? And our goal is to get here. And God has the same objectives. Our goal is to get here. So if we say that the way to get here is through here, what ends up happening? Right? We end up over here, and we end up missing the point. Right? And we end up missing uh, the point of what God's doing. We end up uh, trying to um, inspect everybody's clothes and see if they're weaved of two different kinds of fabric. And that's not quite the point of what, uh, what God's trying to do here. This is kind of like, I don't know how many of you have traveled um, significantly around the world and run into the dangers of hand gestures in cross-cultural communication. Um, but uh, this is a bit of what's happening here. Uh, so sometimes there are... Uh, what you intend is here is not quite necessarily always where you end up because the same thing in different contexts can have different effects, right? Uh, so if you give the okay sign in the, in the uh, most of US context, uh, people will get that you mean okay. Uh, in certain other places, Brazil, Germany, Russia, and apparently many other countries around the world, um, it is a bit more profane and offensive. Um, also the same for the, the V for victory or peace sign, uh, the hook em horns gesture of the Texas uh, football team marching band um, has apparently some scandalous meanings in other countries. Uh, we have the thumbs up gesture as well. Uh, we have confusion over like what numbers are represented by what fingers. So you could order, you know, the wrong number of something if you're giving, uh, just holding up a, a certain fingers to, to tell how many you want of something. Um, or maybe more familiar pointing has different levels of like rudeness versus appropriateness in different cultures. Um, or even the open hand um, is like a, this like wave uh, is a greeting here, but it's like stop or enough um, or like I don't want to talk to you um, in other places, right? Um, so uh, we can end up with the same kind of confusion if we don't pay attention to the distance in context, right? If we try to just replicate 
the action, we end up with the wrong place because we're not paying attention to the intention and the direction, the objective of the law. So what do we do instead? How can we actually tell what, is a, what, what, um, what we are supposed to do in our context here to get here? There has to be some kind of consistent method in order to figure out how we apply things for today. We can't just listen to it and say, well, that sounds good, and this other one doesn't sound good, um, so I'm just going to follow the ones that sound good and ignore the ones that don't, right? We have to have some kind of consistent method. So this is my suggestion, right? We have to look here at the objective, right? We have to do the hard work of figuring out what's the objective of the law, and then we have to think about here's the objective, here is the character of God that's revealed, and we also have the added advantage of we've seen the life of Jesus, right? So we have God as revealed in Jesus. So that helps us check what's going on as well. And we have to ask, okay, what gets us to the same objective from our context, right? We actually need a line that goes from here to here, and depending how much distance there is on a particular issue between these contexts, the, what we're supposed to do may be more or less different than the law that was given to the people of Israel. Um, so let's actually look at the text here and figure out what does that look like in context. Okay, so we've got some weird stuff in this passage. You were listening to it, you were probably like, that, I'm just going to stop listening because this is some weird stuff that does not seem very relevant. Okay, so one of those would be um, in verse, uh, verses 20 to 22, if you're looking at it there in the passage. Um, we see these verses about a man sleeping with a female slave who's promised to another man um, and uh, needs to be punished because he's done that, right? And he has to give this offering and this ram in order to pay for what he's done. Now, if we're in our context... And we're like, this is what God wants to do and what God cares about. Um, and we're probably going to end up here, right? Because this is a little bit just out of place for where we're at in our context, right? It sounds actually very unjust and not caring about the woman's life. Um, and, and we are left with some questions if we're not paying attention to the cultural distance. If we're paying attention to the cultural distance... Um, then we have to do some extra work and get some help from some people who are studying what's going on in this time and around it. And what they'll tell us when we get the help is that this is actually a relatively just and caring for the woman response compared to the cultures around them, right? Like many of the things in the law of Moses that are often seeming kind of weird to us, um, in the context of the ancient Near East and the, the societies around them, this actually is caring for the woman more than many places would be. And it's trying to not get Israel necessarily all the way here, but it's trying to draw them closer towards God. Um, what it does show in this passage, um, in those verses there, is that God actually cares for this woman's life, right? This woman's life has value and actually needs to be paid for and dealt with the, the wrong that has been done to her. She's not just an object and a piece of property that this man can do whatever, uh, whatever he wants to. And it's not just the the man who she was engaged to that he needs to make repayment to, right? It's actually to God, because that woman has value to God, not just the man she's engaged to, right? So we start to see, here's some of the objective that God has in this law, and instead of being like, okay, we need to apply the law exactly, we can start to look, okay, God cares about these things. What would it look like to also value women 
like God's seeming to draw Israel towards in our day today. Um, you might also look at verses 5 through 10. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, they are talking about animal sacrifices here, which I'm sure you're probably not doing. Okay, so sacrifice it in a way that it will be accepted. It will be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day, and anything left until the third day must be burned up. Why does God care what day they eat the meat? If we are not paying attention to the distance, we just end up with this weird, like, God is really concerned with what day they eat the meat. Maybe it's a health thing that God's concerned about here. The reality is, actually, they could preserve the meat and eat it for a while. I don't know how many of you have been around um, a cow lately. Um, they're big. There's a lot of meat there. When you go and sacrifice the cow, you have a lot of meat that needs to be eaten. Now, if God is saying, you all need to eat this in two days, what is the result of that? A bellyache. Okay, if you try to eat it, just you and your household, and you actually eat it all in two days, yeah, you're probably going to have some problems. Um, it's also probably not really possible, right? What would you have to do to eat this whole cow in two days? You have to invite other people and you have to share, right? So what is God telling them to do? God is saying, when you slaughter an animal, you are to have a feast and invite other people and share it with other people, right? You are to actually gather the community and share with them your resources. And then when they slaughter their animal, they do the same thing, right? Now, what is the picture of the society that is being painted by that, right? It's a society that is deeply interdependent, that people are caring for one another, that people are in one another's homes, that people are providing for one another, and they're not concerned about this is what is mine, this is what is yours, and we need to keep those lines hard and fast. It's not a society where people are only, do keep, are only eating their own cow, right? It's not a society where people are only supported by their own resource. It's not a society of independence. It's a society of interdependence. Now, if we're concerned just about what is the law, we miss all that, right? But if we ask, what is the society that God wants to create here? We, if we're paying attention to this, then that is something that we can look at. How does our context get here, right? What does it look like in my life? What does it look like in my household? What does it look like in my community to eat the cow in two days? <laughs> what does it look like to share with other people what I have? and be shared with what they have, to live life that is more and more interdependent and is not concerned with what is mine and what is yours so much, that does not try to provide everything of my own for myself and, and require my neighbor to provide everything they need for themselves. That actually matters for us, right? That actually has relevance for us today. And we can just read through this and miss that this matters for us, right? Because we have to be attentive to the cultural distance. We also have some weird stuff, um, which I've mentioned, about um, don't mate different kinds of animals, which that kind of makes sense to us just for like an animal cruelty thing. Um, but like, why is it here with these other things? Okay, don't plant your field with two different kinds of seed. Interesting. Don't wear clothing of two different kinds of material. Um, later on, don't eat any meat with the blood still in it. Don't practice divination. Don't cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard or um, don't cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. Why does God care about all this stuff? And you're probably breaking some of these. 
So is that a problem? What is going on here? What is the objective of these laws that we actually should be concerned about, even though we are not under this law and covenant anymore? It seems like, um, well, first, sometimes you need to get help, right? I don't know the answer to that question, right? So I go and I get help. I find people who have a better idea because they study these things of what those things are trying, why they're there, what God is trying to do, right? People with more awareness of the cultural distance so they can help me understand. Often, you need to do that too, right? If you're coming across something that doesn't make sense, it's not bad that it doesn't make sense to you. It's probably a good question you should ask and you should find other people in community or scholars who can help things to make sense. The best I can see when I'm getting help to figure out these particular verses is that these are connected to pagan idolatrous practices around them. A lot of them, um, you can imagine um, planting your field with two different kinds of seed. Um, It seems like this is connected to a, a pagan magic practice where if you do certain things with your seeds or you mix animals in certain ways, Um, that you're essentially you are manipulating the forces of nature in order to make your harvest or the reproduction of the animals or whatever it is more plentiful right more fruitful right they're trying to control and manipulate circumstances themselves and depend on this pagan magic um, in order to um, in order to get provision for themselves they're trying to be independent of needing to depend on god uh, for what they need Right? Or some of this other stuff um, about the cuts and the, the tattoos um, and mediums and spiritists and divination and omens. There's these connections with either with the dead or, or trying to predict the future and, and manipulate or control or understand things independent of God. Right? The whole section, actually, at the beginning of chapter 18, if you go way back, there are a bunch of laws, um, starts with God actually saying to Moses, Tell the Israelites, I'm the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in Canaan, where I'm bringing you. That's like the the title thesis statement of the entire section that we're in. Don't be like Egypt. Don't be like Canaan. Um, And so it's kind of assumed, I think, that the entire two chapters plus after that is explaining how do you not be like Egypt? How do you not be like Canaan? So if we're coming across verses that are like, why is this here? This seems a little bit arbitrary or weird, or like, why would they even think of doing this thing that God needs to tell them not to do? It's probably because Egypt and Canaan were doing it, right? Egypt and Canaan are doing these practices um, in various ways that are, are having them depend on and trust in idols instead of God. And God is instructing them, don't do these things. Be a people who are not pagan idolatrous people, but instead depend on God. Be a people who are distinct from Egypt, who are distinct from Canaan. Be people who are a witness to the world in what you do, even your hairstyle in this context, right? But if we start to get concerned with the law itself and try to follow that, we miss all that, right? We miss the point. If we get concerned with the objective, which is don't be like the pagan idolatrous people around you, then that actually challenges us, right? If we ask, how do I not be like pagan idolatrous people in like pagan idolatrous culture around me today, that's a much harder question, right? That's a much harder challenge. That's a much more relevant challenge, right? Because there's actually a lot of stuff in the culture around us that is trusting in other things besides God, right? That's placing our dependence in other places besides God. That's seeking to manipulate uh, how things work in the world. That's seeking to depend on something um, for our well-being besides God. That's placing something above God. And this challenges us to actually examine our lives 
and examine our culture and figure out what those things are together with other people, right? This is hard work that we do together with others. Figure out what those things are and have nothing to do with them, right? Because God is taking this really seriously. So we're not under the same law, but this law still has relevance because it points us to the objective that's of the same God that we follow, right? And it challenges us to develop an ethic here that, bring, that helps to draw our context towards God, right? Where we have to work together as a people, getting help from others, being guided by all of Scripture, being guided by the tradition of the church, being guided by the reality, the characteristics of, that we see in Jesus, um, who reveals God to us much more fully, and ask with all of that Scripture, tradition, with Jesus, what is the ethic, the way of life, for our context today that draws our context towards God, that brings kingdom life into our world, our time, our place. We have to really examine what's our relationship to money, right? What's our relationship, um, what, is our, what does our budget reflect about um, what we're depending on? What are our relationships to power, right? What's our relationships to, to nationalism? What's our relationships to sexuality? What are the things that we are trusting in to bring life, trusting in to bring flourishing, placing above God that are not God? That's what this is challenging us to. That takes work, right? Um, and, and that's our challenge as the church, is to dig in, to be examiners of culture, um, to examine on each topic um, that's, that's even brought up here. Like, is there distance between my culture and the culture of the time on this particular thing? When it says, don't slander your neighbor, I don't think there's a lot of really... Uh, a ton of cultural distance that really makes that mean a couple different things in the now versus that, right? We're pretty, we're pretty close together on that. Slandering your neighbor would really result in distrust and broken relationships and hurt people, right? So because there's not cultural distance on that, we can say God cares about the results of that. God cares about the results of that today, which are the same. So I should probably not do that because God cares about that, right? Um, but some places, like some of these I've mentioned, there's much greater cultural distance, and we need to get help to figure out um, what the objective was in the culture um, so that we can um, take that objective and pursue that objective in our own time and place. As we do this, what's the result? I think the result of this is that we actually bear witness in the world to the character of the God that we follow, right? If we're, if we're developing an ethic, a way of life that's pursuing the objectives of God and drawing ourselves as a community towards God, we're also proclaiming the reality of God back into our context. We're proclaiming the character of God back into our context. We're proclaiming that our God is a God who cares about the wages of workers being withheld. We're proclaiming that our God is a God who cares about the value and dignity of every life. We're proclaiming that our, our God cares about the foreigner in our midst. And the world needs that witness, right? Just as Israel was meant to be a witness to the nations, we too as the church are meant to be a witness to the nations. And some of the good news that we have today is that the law that God gave um, to the people of Israel, though it is far distant from us, though we are not under that law today, that law is still a gift to you and I today. That law is still part of 
the way that we can, um, that still is, still, that law is still a part of the gift that is scripture, that we can take seriously every bit of scripture we can take seriously. It is a gift from God, the same God then is now, and it points us to God. It shapes us as a people. When we run into the hard bits in scripture, like some of these, we have questions, and those questions are not bad. You should ask the questions. When you have questions, when you run into things that are like, this is confusing, why is this here? You should ask that question. You should be persistent in asking that question, and you should find help in answering that question. The answers to those questions will point us to the goodness and love and glory of God. And they will help grow us in understanding and drawing nearer to God and speaking the truth of who God really is back into our own culture. We will, if we ask the questions, we will miss out on less of what's going on. Because sometimes scripture is not easy, right? And sometimes that's scary if you've grown up in a place that says you as the reader should just be able to read this and get what it means for you today, right? Some of us have grown up very much with like, that's how scripture works. But that's not always how scripture works, right? This is an ancient document. It's an ancient document that God worked to bring about and inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But it is an ancient document. And sometimes we need help because it's hard. Scripture is not meant to be an individual rule book giving you your uh, personal morality, right? Scripture is the story of God's people passed down through many centuries. And it needs to be read as that. It needs to be read with the assistance and guidance of God's people, including people who have studied that cultural distance, who can really help us understand what's going on, um, who can recognize the difficulty of the fact that it is really old and from a different time and place, and help us work through that to what is being revealed about God here, and therefore what should we do today. So I encourage you, as you enter into this journey of dealing with, of wrestling with, of even receiving the gift of the challenging and and, um, confusing and obscure parts of Scripture, enter into that journey, but enter into that journey with two things. One, with the knowledge that all of Scripture is a gift that is useful for you today, every part. And two, enter into that journey getting help from other people. This is a journey that's meant to be done as a community. Scripture is the story of God's people, and we are all God's people together, and an interpretation of that story, working through and applying that story and all of its laws and weird stuff, is a journey that's meant to be done as a community. It's meant to be done all together with discernment and with wisdom. So may that be our task as we continue to journey in the years to come through even the difficult parts of Scripture. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.